Hello, people of God. Pastor Vic Borden, Redbridge Baptist Church here, bringing again another message online for we're not able to meet together due to social distancing. But I want you to take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 15, through the end of the chapter. And while you're finding your Bible and making your way to the book of Joshua, story has been told one time of a family who went on a long vacation, on uh, over-the-road vacation. Remember when we used to go over the road on vacation, driving in those nine-passenger station wagons, and all the kids piled in and all? Well, there was three hard days of driving ahead of the family to get to their destination, the place where there would be Swimming and hiking and horseback riding and, and uh, campfires and uh, roasting marshmallows and the like. Well, near the end of the second day of driving, the little eight-year-old girl in the back said, uh, hollered up to her dad and says, Daddy, when we get where we're going, will we be there? <laughs> you can hear the exasperation in her voice. For she's so wearied of the travel. And it logically leads me to ask myself and each one of us this question. When my trip through life is over, will I have arrived at the destination which I have intended, which I've planned, which I've desired? And if so, will I look back with regrets or without regrets. For every child of God, there should be that goal, uh, that mountain to obtain, that hill to climb, that possession to possess. In other words, where to be moving along, moving down the road, traveling down the highway of life, honoring God every step of the way. That's what Joshua chapter 14 addresses. A message that I've titled, I Want That Mountain. I want that mountain, Caleb said in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, he's the character, main character in this chapter, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, that is, Caleb said unto Joshua, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. That is, when Joshua and Caleb and the other ten spies went in to spy out the promised land, and they came back, and they brought a report, and the vote was 10 to 2. It was Joshua and Caleb saying, yes, God is able to deliver us. Let's move right in and take the land. And the other 10 said, no, there's giants in the land. They will uh, kill us. They're, they're too fearful. And so they didn't go into the land. They ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Well, it's now past that. In fact, it's now 45 years later, and Caleb came to Joshua and said, You remember what God said through Moses. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren 
who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that, on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thy, whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Maybe it was his birthday. Eighty-five years old, Caleb said that he was at that time. As yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Uh, My strength um, was then, even so is my strength now, for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For thou uh, heardest it in that day how the Anakim, that is the giants, were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. If so be, the Lord will be with me. Then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, uh, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kiriath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. Every child of God should have some burden on his or her soul, some mountain to obtain, some land to possess, some uh, desire of fulfilling the will of God, whatever that might be. Maybe it has to do with education. Maybe it has to do with um, winning a family member to the Lord, of going on a mission trip, of going to the mission field. Whatever it is, that mountain is that vision that you have, that goal, that heart's desire that you want to see God deliver to you. Three primary points, if you're taking notes, with this message, I want that mountain. The first is, Caleb was a man of vision. A man of vision. Now, to say that someone is a man or a woman of vision is to say that that person walks by faith. And that was the case with Caleb all his days. In fact, that's all we know about Caleb is that he walked by faith. He was a man of vision. Now, what are the characteristics of being a man of vision, a woman of vision? The first thing is, you're characterized by observing the Word of God. That is, you know what the Word of God says. You hear it. You understand it. You listen. You obey. You fulfill what the Word of God says has to say. So Caleb simply believed God. Uh, And folks, it doesn't get any more basic than that. I mean, truly, the Christian life, isn't it simply a, a series of opportunities to trust and obey, to hear what God says, and then to live it out in our lives faithfully before him? That's what happened with Abraham centuries earlier. He was known for that. 
Romans chapter 4 and verse 3 describe that. It says, Abraham believed God and his belief, it was counted unto him for righteousness. That is, it was credited to his account. Um, That's because he believed in the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is, righteousness will be credited to your account. And it was nothing more or nothing less than Abraham saying, Yes, Lord, I believe that you will deliver me. I believe that you will save me. Well, Caleb believed that God would, in fact, drive out the enemy Uh, as they entered the promised land, even though he was uh, woefully outvoted when they went in to spy out the land. Um, Caleb's vision, therefore, was Bible-based. It was based on what God said through Moses. Notice in verses 6, 10, and 12, each one of those places, Caleb alluded to what Moses said, what the Lord told Moses And so he was pleading God's promises, really. Uh, Caleb could say, I want that mountain because God has already said I can have that mountain. He said that I can have Hebron for myself, for my children, for my posterity. So he was simply claiming what the word of God had already revealed. Now, folks, let me give a little bit of caution here. Claiming more than what God's word promises is presumption. That is to say, God told me to do this. I believe God wants me to do this. When it is not revealed in scripture, in fact, when it is contrary to scripture, clearly is being presumptuous. Uh, I actually had someone tell me one time through years of marital discord that God wants me to divorce my spouse. It's the will of God that I divorce my spouse. Now, how can I know that that cannot be the will of God? Because scripture already says in Malachi, God hates divorce. So those who are people of vision are those who are characterized by observing the word of God. Um, not claiming what God promises is pessimism. Well, God, I know that you said in your word that this, this, and this are true, but what about this? What about the other thing? There's, there are giants in the land. That's exactly what happened with Israel when they came up to the promised land, and they weren't able to enter in for 40 years. And, and in that entire uh, people group, all those adults, 20 years of age and up, died in the wilderness. Only though the youngest generation, as well as Joshua and Caleb, went in and inherited the land. The story is told about a century ago of a salesman for an American shoe company. They wanted to open up another market, so they sent him to the Middle East to open up a shoe market. Now again, this was about a century ago or so. And the man was only there a few days. And he sent back a telegraph that said, I'm coming home. That's all it said. Coming, or returning home. When he re- arrived, the owner, the CEO of the corporation said, why are you back? You've only been gone such a short period of time. The salesman said, well, the people over there, 
don't wear shoes, and so what likelihood is there to open up a market? The company sent another salesman who was there also just a few days, and he sent back a telegram which said, no one here has shoes. Send all of them that you can. <laughs> What's the lesson here? Well, the lesson is, is that you're to claim what God has given you. We know it's godly vision when it's based on the word of God, when it's based on scripture. So being a man, being a woman of vision is characterized by observing, making observation of the word of God. Secondly, it's characterized by an obedience to the will of God. It's not just knowing what scripture says, but it's obeying what scripture says. Observing the word of God, obeying the will of God. And that's exactly what Caleb did. In fact, the key to his success is recorded no less than six times in scripture by this phrase, he wholly followed the Lord. It's recorded a couple of times in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, in the book of Deuteronomy. And right here in Joshua chapter 14, notice in verse 8, it says, uh, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Verse 9, it says, uh, he wholly followed uh, the Lord uh, my God. And then in verse 14, he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And so being a person of vision means you know what the word of God says and you obey what the will of God is for you. It's really nothing more difficult than that to understand. Oh, to be sure, the difficulty comes in the doing. I mean, Caleb and Joshua had to actually lead the people to actually go in and drive out the enemy in the land. It was not... Uh, uh, an afternoon picnic, not at all, but God was with them. The phrasing in these verses is emphatic in Hebrew. Caleb had mountains to climb and giants to conquer, and he and Joshua were willing to stand alone against popular opinion. I mean, the vote was a five to one ratio. Uh, they had 20% of the vote against all the rest who said, no, we can't go in. Folks, stand against popular opinion, for others may desert you, but God will stand by you when you are observing his word, when you're obeying his will. He will not leave you or forsake you. He delights in those who will stand on truth. The Apostle Paul knew that. For in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17. It says, At my first defense, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me, notwithstanding, or nevertheless, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Wow, what vision did he have? What faith did he have? Folks, if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8 31 tells us. And so be that man, that woman, that young person, a vision by observing the word of God. What does it say? What does it mean? And obeying the will of God. Here I go. I'm moving out. For faith is active. Faith is the willingness to believe God, 
to the point of obeying. Here I go. I'm moving into the promised land. I'm driving out the enemy because God has commanded that. And I'm trusting him. I know that he's not going to fail me. And so you do the same. Be a modern day Caleb. A man, a woman, a young person of vision. And then secondly, Caleb was a man of vitality. He was a man of vitality. Oh, he talks about his physical vitality, and, and really it begs the question, in verse 11, can that really be true? He says, I'm as strong this day. Now remember, he was 85. As I was when Moses sent me when he was 40 years old. Is that really possible? It certainly is. First of all, the Word of God says it, so we know it's true. But Caleb was saying that he was in better shape, more prepared for war, at the end of the major campaign of months and years of driving out the enemy up and down hills and mountains, uh, hundreds of miles traversed, and carrying uh, weaponry and, and, and all that. He was in great physical shape at the end of that campaign. Basically, uh, the principle here is use it or lose it. He had wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years with his rebellious, faithless brethren. That didn't help him at all. But once he got in physical shape, he was able to say, uh, I'm, I'm stronger now than I ever was. Folks, through wilderness and war, Caleb had walked with God. He was confident in the Lord, but not cocky. He was saying that I have obeyed the Lord and I, there's vitality here. Uh, there, there's a freshness. There's a skip in my step. There's a burning in my soul to serve God. And that's what Caleb did all those years. He didn't presume on the blessing of the Lord, but he trusted that God would use him to drive out the giants in the land. I like what theologian Leon Morris wrote about this. He says, it's not so much, folks, this is good. It's not so much great faith in God that is required as it is faith in a great God. <laughs> Amen? You know, I've heard people say, uh, I believe in the power of prayer. I don't. Now let that just settle on you. Preacher, you don't believe in the power of prayer? No. People have always prayed. People everywhere in the world pray. Atheists pray. That is, they utter wishful thoughts, hopeful thinking. So no, I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of the God of prayer. He said, that's just semantics. Well, I, I think there's a, a, a profound theological distinction there. <clears throat> my hope, my vision is set upon the one who is powerful. My vitality comes from the one who uh, blesses with that as we trust and obey him. Really, it's having the spirit of Psalm 130 and verse 5, which says, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. I'm restored, I'm invigorated, 
There's great vitality when you're in the center of the will of God. Even if that means you are on your deathbed in your spirit. You're strong. You're vital. Because you are people of vision. You're trusting him. You're believing him. And you're obeying him. Caleb was a man of vision. He was a man of vitality. And this text makes it very clear. Caleb was a man of victory. You see, when all 12 spies brought, came back from the promised land report, that committee, and the majority said, we can't win, we won't be victorious, Caleb stepped up as recorded in Numbers 13 and verse 30. And it says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses. He said, hush. And said, let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. Of course, his strength was in the Lord. His hope was in God. It wasn't in his own physical abilities. It was in what God would do. So Caleb didn't deny the strength, the force of the enemy, but he was willing to defy the force and the strength of the enemy because he knew that God was on his side. Notice Caleb's decisive spirit in verses 10 and 12. Three times in those two verses, he said, and now, and now, and now. Notice in verse 10, and now behold the Lord. Again in verse 10, and now lo I am this day. And then in verse 12, now therefore give me this mountain. I want this mountain because God has said I can have it. That's my vision. I've walked in vitality. I've experienced victory. Now I want to receive the inheritance God has for me. Caleb didn't deny. He defied. He knew God would take care of him. He claimed the mountain, the territory in and around Mount Hebron. And Joshua gave it to him. And and really, uh, he gave him what was already his because he had already had the title deed 45 years earlier from God through Moses. Christian, you're a child of the king. You have privileges. You have blessings. You have an anointing that you can claim each and every day. God has given you Victory. It says, thanks be unto God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, victory is yours in whatever battle, whatever uh, possession God wants you to have, enter in by faith, trusting him, obeying him every step of the way. God has given you all you need for victory over the flesh, the world, and the devil. Or he hasn't. It's one or the other. Either you do have victory available, you can be, yea, you must be victorious, or it's all just wishful thinking. Well, according to the authority of the Word of God, that victory is yours to Receive. In fact, 2 Peter 1.3 says, 
according or in proportion as his divine power. How much power does God have? Well, infinite. Okay. In proportion to God's infinite power, he's given unto us all things, not some things, not once in a while. He's already given unto us all things which pertain or have to do with life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called you to glory and virtuous living. And so, not only can you walk in victory, live in victory, no matter what the giants are that are out there, you must do so to honor him, to see his name lifted high among the nations. Oh, child of God, if you have a day left, a month left, a year left, or a decade left, Use it to serve him with all the vigor, all the vitality of your souls. Enter in to victory moment by moment. You've, uh, many of you have heard, heard me say at funeral services where I'm officiating. And maybe a person dies at a relatively young age. I know in my life, my 13-year-old brother, 9-year-old sister, went home to be with the Lord at, at such a young age. And I've officiated at funerals of, of infants, and uh, as well as those who are, who are uh, past the century mark, and everywhere in between. And I've often said, I'm not going to live out my days focused on counting the years. Not going to do that. Not going to worry about that. It's not my call. God has my days numbered. Has the hairs on my head counted. See? I'm not going to worry about counting the years. I'm going to focus on making the years count. Making the years count. Beginning right now. This very moment. I want that mountain. Whatever that mountain is. And whatever giants are in the land. Which must be driven out. In order to obtain that. I'm going to pray. I'm going to preach. I'm going to plead with God. I'm going to witness. I'm going to minister. Whatever that assignment is, by faith, I'm going to enter in, by his grace and for his glory. Now, that begs the question, what will that look like? How can I actually know, preacher, if I'm victorious? What, what indicators are there? Are, there? are there some measurements? Is there a measuring stick? Somewhere that I can, I can see progress being made or, or road, signs along, road signs along the way of this journey that tells me I'm approaching the destination or I've arrived at the destination. Let me offer four very practical things that you will observe as you are claiming that mountain. As you say, I want that mountain, a restored marriage a wayward grandchild, a financial um, stability, uh, some health issue, uh, and you're not, you're not handling it well. What is that mountain that you want to claim for the glory of God? First of all, just know there's an internal standard. There is an internal standard. We know what we ought to be able to do to accomplish it. 
I was thinking about that this week. I know, I already know, I cannot run a 4.2 second 40-yard dash like Tyreek Hill. I know that I can't. That's not going to be my standard. Uh, the best I can do is run a 4.4. <laughs> but most of us know what we can accomplished, accomplish. I know that I'm not going to be a great vocal soloist musically or a great pianist. I mean, I reasonably know that. I'm not setting my sights on that. But there are areas in my life where I do know that I can, I can be victorious. I can have vitality there. I can have a vision for it. I used to tell my uh, four children, I can hear their collective groan right now. Oh no, dad's going to give an anecdote. When they were growing up relative to schoolwork, I said, I only require two things. Don't care about grades on the test, exams, examinations, doesn't matter to me. I'm not sure they ever fully believe that. But they could tell you right now what the two requirements are when approaching schoolwork, when approaching that job, when approaching that assignment, when wanting that mountain and achieve victory. What are those two requirements? Effort and attitude. I'm going to go at this with great effort for the glory of God. I'm going to go at this as unto Christ with that kind of heart attitude. And so, what is your passion? What is it that God has placed on your heart? What mountain is there out there that you believe God wants you to, in fact, inherit? There's something internal that's a standard which has been raised if you're a child of God. There's something out there, some burden out there that God wants you to lay hold of that. And then secondly, there's an external standard. Sometimes that standard is placed on us outside of ourselves. When I was in the military, anybody who's been in the military, there, have been, there are all kinds of requirements placed on you, which you wouldn't have chosen for yourself, but by and large proved to be beneficial. Not only beneficial for you personally, me personally, but beneficial for the entire unit. In other words, it brought victory. And that needs to be true in every area of life. Uh, in fact, it is. We're required to pay our bills. That's a good thing. Uh, we're to be accurate on our taxes. Uh, we're to um, have a certain percentage in order to pass a particular test, like a driver's test, something along that line. Even though we're not folks of this world, we're in this world, and we want to maintain a godly testimony before the lost as we are heading for that mountain, as we're heading for that victory. We want the external standard to also be observed. And so you'll know by what your testimony is among the lost. Oh, they, they're not going to agree with you in many cases, but do they respect you? Do they see that you're the real deal? You're genuine and not hypocritical, not a counterfeit. And then thirdly, there's an eternal standard. There's an internal standard. There's an external standard. But there's also an eternal standard. That is, 
There's the litmus test of heaven. And what is the requirement? I was going to say requirements, plural, for victory from the Lord. What are, what are the things that he requires? But really, there's only one requirement, a single one requirement, faith. Faith. That's it. He has required in stewards, servants of his, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, that they be found faithful. 1 John 5, 4 says um, that faith is the victory. God told me this in his word. He told me that uh, I, I could be successful. He's trustworthy. So here I go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust him and I'm going to move out. Doesn't matter that there's giants in the land. There were giants in the land with Joshua and Caleb. But they said, of course we can go in because God is going to go before us and be with us. There is an eternal standard. Well, what's that going to look like? It'll bring victory, but it'll bring victory very likely in the midst of struggles and trials and difficulties. It's not easy. If it's easy, anyone could do it. It's holding on to him. It is Trusting in the Lord with all your heart, not leaning into your own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The Lord's going to open a door for you to say, God, you've given me that mountain. Now it's time for me to lay hold of it. And then fourthly, in this may come as a surprise, but not only is there an internal standard, that is, what do I know God wants from me? An external standard, what are those around me looking for in my life? And an eternal standard, that is, what has God required? But there's also an infernal standard. What does that mean? It means Satan needs to be threatened by what I'm doing. Satan needs to be occupied by what I'm doing because I'm driving into his territory. I'm claiming the inheritance uh, uh, that um, God has given me, but he wants, and he doesn't want me to have it. He wants to hold those captive. And so are you making inroads behind enemy lines? Are you occupied with rescuing the perishing, sharing the liberating message? of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. If so, you'll be tempted, you'll be accused, you'll be sifted because Satan isn't happy at all with that child of God or that local church which has purposed or who has purposed to move forward with the Lord, to have the spirit of Caleb. And what is the spirit of Caleb? I want that mountain. It's what God has given me. And it's time for me to receive that. Caleb had vision. A vision that was based on the word of God. And a heart that was obedient to the will of God. Caleb had vitality. That is, he wasn't going to wear out or rust out or burn out but he was going to keep moving forward until his last breath. And there's every indication that, in fact, he did. And Caleb was a man who experienced victory every step 
of the way. Child of God, during this pandemic, don't get lost. Don't, don't lose your way. Finish strong. Renew. Re-enlist. If these are days of leanness in your soul, re-enlist even right now. Say, Lord, you have, you have a promised land for me. You have a future for me. And I want to walk in vitality, spiritually speaking. Not talking physically. You might not be uh, physically as strong as Caleb was. That's not the issue. the issue. The issue is, are you abiding in him and experiencing victory that he has for you? May each one of us who know and love and follow the Lord Jesus even right now, be able to say, I want that mountain. And that mountain is the salvation of my child, the restoration of that relationship, the opening up of that job for income that is needed, the freeing up of whatever bondage and burden that is encumbering you. You name what that mountain is. Oh, to be sure, there will be giants there. But if God is for you, finish the verse. Who can be against you?